True uh, greatness in the kingdom, Jesus says, is that you become like a child, just like, just like these kids. It, it doesn't mean, as Joel was talking about earlier, that we become, we become childish, but Jesus is after childlike, and it's an object lesson that He did, just like I did for you, He did with, for His disciples, that they never, they never saw that coming. In the culture that Jesus is in, kids were not very important. They didn't have a status. Uh, they didn't have a rank. They could not fight. They could not lead. They, they had not lived the time necessary in order to acquire worldly wisdom. They could not pile up riches. And so, they couldn't add anything. And so, they counted for very little. Even in the Greek language, the words used for child are usually not masculine or feminine but neuter. And so, go back to your grammar days. It means that children weren't usually referred to as he's or she's. Kids were just it's. And it's the same here in the text. The child in this story is referred to in the neuter gender as an it. Now, this is another sermon, but there are only two genders. And so, it has to either be a boy or a girl. Now, I'm curious, when we read the text earlier, how many of you had in your mind when Jesus called to him a little child, a little boy? Raise, raise your hand. Come on. How many of you had, had uh, in mind a boy? How many of you had in mind a girl? That means a lot of you didn't have anything in your mind. Okay. All right. Okay. Uh, for me, I, I, have, I had in my mind a boy, right? And most translators do as well. But I, I've been persuaded as, a, as I've studied this this last week that it was likely a little girl that Jesus called to him. Jesus didn't want his disciples to miss the point that, this, that it is the weakest, it's, it's the most vulnerable, it's the least significant human you can think of that is the clearest picture of what the kingdom of God is really like. And who would model that better in that day for those men that were trying to follow Jesus than a little girl? I think it was a girl. And I want you to think about how insignificant she would have looked surrounded by all of these men, these grown men, and that, of course, was the point. Jesus takes what they think is the least and the lowest and says and points to her and says, actually, she's the highest. You want to be the greatest? Here it is in front of you. And he describes great value to this child who seconds before was just an ornament in the room. Now, we don't know this little girl but when Jesus called her to him, she came to him promptly, just like he asked, just like these kids did. They came down, to, they got on the stage. And when he turned her around and stood her in front of everybody, she stayed where she was put. And Jesus said, that's what greatness looks like. And so it's very simple for us then what true humility means. Humility means coming when Jesus calls us. And humility means staying where Jesus puts us. Humility is not hiding. It's not a matter of suppressing our passions or hiding our gifts or, or being shy about what we're really good at. No, humility is power under submission. Humility is strength under control. Humility is a little girl following to wherever Jesus calls, staying wherever Jesus puts her, and then if Jesus asks her to sing, it's singing in the best, loudest, energetic way she knows how. That's humility. My name is Hazel! That's humility. Those aren't bad bullet points for us. How do we become great in the kingdom? 
We make ourselves low like a child. We submit to the Lord like a horse submits to its rider, and, and we come when Jesus calls and we stay where Jesus puts us. And that's the example of humility that Jesus gives. And he doesn't expound on that example too much. He just puts a child in front of them and says this. But then after the punch of this object lesson lands on the disciples, he does go on to talk about the practice of humility, the practice of being low. How how does a person integrate into his life this thing called humility? Someone once said, humility is that grace that when you know you have it, you've lost it. That's what humility is. Jesus gives us in the text three whoever's, three ways to practice being low so that in the end, we're not only in the kingdom, but we're in the kingdom with a rank. Here's the first one. He says, whoever receives. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. That's verse 5. Jesus points to this little girl and says, if you want a higher rank in the kingdom, then you need to receive or welcome little kids into your life. The, the word is a word from the world of hospitality. It describes a person opening up their home to visitors or to strangers and gladly welcoming them in. And it means that kids are so valuable to Jesus that when we take time to invite them into our routines or, or our life and are willing to engage the, with them and be interrupted by them, when we make room in our hearts for them, then we're also making room for Him. Maybe you've invited somebody to your house and they show up and you open the door and suddenly they have somebody with them. You weren't planning on that, right? You didn't expect that, but that's what happens with kids. We invite them into the house of our heart and when they show up, Jesus is there with them on the doorstep. And if that's the case, here's the question. How, do, how would you treat Jesus when he's on the doorstep? Oh man, you, you're, you're on high alert with your behavior and your manners, right? You want to honor him and that's right to do. And that's the way to treat any child in your life too, because Jesus is right there with them. Whoever receives is Jesus' way of asking, how do you treat children in your life? How do you treat kids? That's a test of your humility. The great Charles Spurgeon was constantly surrounded by children from his church's orphanage, and there's a legend that one day they loved him. They loved Spurgeon. There's a legend that one day one of the little kids came up to him and she kneeled, uh, he kneeled to her level and he saw that she had a piece of candy in her mouth. And she loved Spurgeon so much, they all did, that she wanted to share with him. And so she took the candy out of her mouth and offered it to him and without skipping a beat, he took the candy that she had taken from her mouth and he put it into his own. Yeah. Now, I'm not sure that this text means that we have to do that, but doing that is exactly what this text means. Your treatment of kids is a test of your humility. Welcoming welcoming them in or not has a profound effect on their life. Uh, Years ago, in another place, there was a young woman named Lori, and she tried to drive off a cliff to commit suicide, and her car's... Uh, Her tires got stuck in loose dirt, and that ended up saving her life. Someone from her church went to visit Lori after her attempt. Uh, She had been placed in a psychiatric 
unit and was getting treatment. And during the visit, they talked about her poor self-image and her low self-esteem. They, she brought these things up. She, she was asked, what made you feel that way and when did it begin? And she said, I think it was in high school. It really started to affect me during my senior year of high school. She said, I was one of the princesses on the homecoming court. I came from uh, the homecoming dance late that night. I was still wearing a crown on my head from being a princess at school. And as soon as I walked in the door, my mom grabbed the crown off of my head, threw it to the ground, crushed crushed it with her foot and said, you are no princess. It's, it's hard for us to imagine that, that someone can be that cruel, that a parent could be that cutting and mean. But I want to tell you, if you hang around kids for just a second, you can. There are kids all around us here in these walls, in this place, and you may be the only adult in their lives who will bother to give them a word of encouragement. Here's what Lori needed. She needed the voice of a church family that said, Lori, you are a princess because you are a child of the king. And you and I have that opportunity with every kid that passes by. Whosoever receives a child receives Jesus too. There's great reward and blessing for us when we treat kids the right way and we love them. Here's the second. Whoever causes... Look at verse 6 with me. You probably noticed it when we read it. But whoever causes one of these little ones to believe in me to sin, who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. I, I don't know anyone who reads that verse and doesn't get a little nervous. The line is probably one of the most frightening statements that Jesus ever makes. I should have put a big eyes emoji on the Scripture there. Like, wow. Just like there's great reward and blessing when we take time for kids, there's also an opposite curse for us when we don't. And it's the picture that bothers us. There there were a couple of kinds of millstones in that day. One millstone was a small little thing used in kitchens by hand. That's not the one that Jesus is talking about. He's talking about a great Millstone, the kind of millstone that is used out in a field and, and has to be turned by the strength of a donkey or a horse or even two or three. And that kind of millstone is what we picture fastened around somebody's neck. And then with that new necklace, they are taken not just offshore somewhere, but to the deepest part of the sea and they're thrown in. And the whole picture, the whole idea of this picture is that this is a punishment that you cannot escape from and it's commensurate with the crime. Because the crime in the text is putting a little child in a position that they can't escape from either. The practice of humility is not just in how I treat children, but also how I protect them. Whoever causes is Jesus' way of asking us, how do you protect children? How do you protect kids in your world? That's a test of your humility. I don't think it's by accident that this text is one of our VBS lesson days in the very same time window 
that there's a movie showing even in our town called The Sound of Freedom, and it's playing across the country. It's a movie about child trafficking, um, and I'm betting that you're up to speed about that movie, and I'm not going to give away anything in the movie, uh, and I'm not going to ruin your experience of crawling to your car and bawling your eyes out afterwards, okay, because that's what's going to happen. But here's some stats. There's more slavery on the planet today than at any other time in history, including during the time when slavery was legal, and millions of those slaves are children. There are 27.6 million trafficked persons globally today, and almost 20% of them are children. Approximately 350,000 children are reported missing every year in the U.S., and of that total, an estimated 100,000 are being trafficked. Child sex trafficking, trafficking has been reported in all 50 U.S. states. The 2021 Federal Human Trafficking Report stated that 57% of U.S. human trafficking victims were minors. The United States is one of the top destinations for human trafficking and is among the largest consumers of child sex. Human trafficking is a $150 billion per year business. That's more than the NFL, the NBA, the MLB, and NHL combined. It has eclipsed the illegal arms trade. And that source is not just from some fluke, you know, thing. That's from the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. This movie, The Sound of Freedom, is a story based on the life of a guy named Tim Ballard, and he explained in an interview how child trafficking works at our borders. He said, the United States is the number one consumer of child exploit uh, exploitation material. We are the demand. And so what that means is that the traffickers want to get children here. There's, there's a lot of money to be made here. And so there's every incentive to get ch children into America, into the black markets here of pedophilia. And he goes on. He says, in the last couple of years, at least 85,000, and it's probably much higher than that, but at least 85,000 unaccompanied minors have shown up at the border. Thousands of them, according to Border Patrol ports, reports, are under five years old. Now, here's the question. Why in the world is a three, a four, a five-year-old showing up at the border? Because they show up with a name. They show up with the name of a sponsor that they're given by their trafficker. They show up. There's no one with them. They just have a number and authorities, by law, have to call that number. And when the person on the other end answers, they just say, yeah, that's my kid. And our system, the way it's set up, sends that kid by plane or bus to the sponsor. That's the way things work right now. There's no background check, no DNA, nothing, and they deliver kids to be exploited by the thousands. Now, I don't, I don't know what to do with that. I don't know what action step to give you besides protect your kids and protect every kid around you. Maybe awareness is a first good step. Um, maybe you should go see Sound of Freedom this week. And if you do, tell them to turn the sound up because it was way too low when I saw it, okay? The urgency is to protect our kids. And if the crime is putting a child in a position that they cannot escape from, 
then it's about a whole lot more than trafficking, isn't it? It's also about our kids being taught in our country right now by, by exploitive voices, things about their sexuality, things about their gender, things about their body, things about their pronouns, things about their clothes, things about their skin color, things about their privilege, things about even their flag. They're being taught at parades, they're being taught at story hours, they're being taught in classrooms, and that's not to even mention social media, and all of these ideologies have, become, have the potential to push them into places and into positions that they will possibly never recover from, and our kids have no defense against that. They're coming where they're told, and they're staying put, and they need protected. Will you be that for them? Can this church be that for them? Can we be a safe place where kids can come and find the acceptance and love that they are looking for we have to be that kind of protection. And for the adults behind these crimes, a millstone at the bottom of the sea seems a very light sentence because God's children are not for sale. One more. Whoever humbles. Look at verse 3 and 4. Jesus said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself, like this child, is the greatest. The way we practice humility is by treating kids with value. It's by protecting kids from harm. And lastly, it's by paying attention to how they operate. And it's by imitating them really well. Whoever humbles is Jesus' way of asking us, how do you imitate children in your life? Because how you imitate the kids around you is a test of your humility. There are two words here that are key, turn and become. Jesus says, unless you turn, and it means to change your way. It means to be converted. Literally, you're going one way and you're converted and now you're going the other way. That's what it means. Unless you turn like that and become like children. Again, it doesn't mean we start throwing food, right? It's not childish, but it's childlike. It's that we adopt the main status of a child. What do, what do you call a child on your tax return? What is their status, their official status? It's a dependent, right? Because they are, totally. They're smaller and younger than everyone else around them. They know they need help, and they aren't afraid to ask. Grandma, can you make me some lunch? Teacher, how do you spell civilization? Uncle Bob, can you fix my bike? Lord, I need a ride to the game, Mom. Th those requests just roll off their tongue, but, but so do these. Lord, help me not to be afraid. God, please heal my friend. Jesus, will you forgive my sins? Kids know their needs. They recognize their limitations. They're honest about their requests for help. And so of all people... Jesus says the most likely people to turn to God in repentance and faith are kids. And adults in the room, people, people trying to climb the ladder higher by energy and effort, Jesus says imitate that. Adults like to insert themselves, right? We like to rely on our own strength and wisdom, and kids can't do that. They have to have help. When Jesus says that a dependence 
like a child is what it takes to enter the kingdom. He's, he's telling us something massive about salvation. He's saying that when you rely on yourself, heaven becomes impossible. But when you rely on somebody else, just like a child does 24-7, salvation now becomes a reality. The gospel is this, that Jesus became the lowest. He was the highest. He had all the treasures of heaven, but he left all of that and became the lowest. He became low in his birth. He became low in his life. He became low in his death. Why did he do that? So that you and I could be given the highest position possible. Whoever humbles himself will be the greatest. You know the answer to that question, who is the greatest? Jesus is. One of the things I've wrestled with this week is who this kid in the story was and why he or she came so quickly to Jesus and did exactly what Jesus asked. And from what I know of kids, well, it's, it's why I had Paul and Kara bring them in today. I thought about just leaving them in here and then just saying, hey, kids, would you come up to the stage? But I knew that if I just stepped up here and I said, hey, kids, would you come up to the stage? Crickets. I I would get nothing. I just don't have the relationship, right, to the depth that Paul and Kara do. What I know is that kids will come when they're called. And man, Paul and Kara just said, come on. They let them right up here, and they did whatever they asked. Kids will do what they're told if there's a relationship. I don't know who this child was. I don't know where she came from or why she was there, but I do know that she knew that Jesus loved her. She had a relationship with him. It is impossible to be a part of the kingdom of God unless you have that kind of relationship with Jesus too. Would you humble yourself today? Would you come and would you follow Jesus? Would you do what he asks? Would you submit to his lordship? The wild invitation today is to be one of the little ones and to welcome into your life all who do the same. Be a child. Come to him, not trapped at the bottom of the seat, but seated at his table. I'm going to ask that you stand and let's worship this great God of ours today.